Welcome to the sermon podcast from Compass Church. In this June 27th, 2021 message from Luke Hedinger, we continue with our What is the Bible series with part seven, Prophets. Pulling from the Old Testament books of Isaiah and Hosea, Luke outlines the role of the prophets in their day and how they played into God's overarching mission that was ultimately fulfilled by Jesus. For more information, head to compasscfc.com. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Luke Hedinger. Um, I get the, the honor to, to be able to help out um, with worship. And, and this morning, I get the incredible privilege to, to bring the word to you. Um, don't worry, Craig's still here. So um, I haven't pushed him out or anything. He's still, he's still here. Um, they just let me do this. So praise God for that. Um, <laughs> that was kind of a joke, but a bad attempt at one. Um, <laughs> What we're going to be doing this morning is we're continuing to walk through this, this sermon series called What is the Bible? And, and I love it. It's been, um, this whole series has been incredibly refreshing to me. Hopefully it has been to you. As we, as we just take a step back and look at the, the forest um, and not get lost in the trees. Because oftentimes what we can do, if you're anything like me, um, there's times we get so focused on individual verses, which... That's good, right? It, it, scripture memory is good. Can we, all, can we all say that? That is a good thing. We should be memorizing scripture. And yet there are times we forget that that verse is, has a context. It's in a chapter and that chapter has a context. It's in a, it's in a book and that book has a context. And it's a part of this bigger biblical narrative. Okay? And that's what we're doing is we're taking a step back because we need times where we do both. Where we zero in and we memorize scripture and we need times where we step back and we take a look at what God is doing over this huge biblical narrative. This incredible story that all of the Bible is pointing to. And that's what we're doing uh, through the course of this time. And, and one of the ways that, that we can help to remember this is we have hand motions. Yeah, some of you are like, woo, all right. You, I bet you were thinking this morning, please, God, can we just do more hand motions in church? And, and, and we aim to please here at Compass. So uh, if you would stand up with me, we're going to, uh, I, I'm a little shaky at these things. I won't, I won't make Troy and Craig come up this service. They did last service and helped me out. But you guys just have to help me, okay? Are you, are you all with me? Okay, all right. Some of you are and some of you are not sure. I'm going to count down and we're going to do it together. Three, two, one, creation, fall, Abraham, Exodus, Torah, David. Oh, this is where I mess up. Uh, is it G? No, prophets. Yeah, prophets. G, that's what I'm preaching. Jesus and his kingdom. Jesus and his church. Cross. Church. Paul. Revelation. All right, we did it. Wow, that was rocky. Um, I won't make you do it with me again. Um, yeah, if you're following along in those hand motions, we're at this one, the one I forgot. What's this one? Prophets. All right, you have it on your bulletin. Um, yeah, we're, we're looking at the prophets. Um, and as, as I was going through the prophets over this past, the past few weeks and just thinking about it in terms of what we're doing, Looking at this biblical narrative, looking at the, at the big story, um, it, it made me think about how, um, how oftentimes we receive or give correction. How many of you have, have received correction before? Okay, some of you need to have a long-due conversation with somebody, okay, because... <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, or you just don't like raising your hand in church. That's okay too. Um, yeah. How many of you have given correction? Yeah. Some of you raise your hand faster on that one than, than the first one. Um, giving and receiving correction can be really difficult. Amen? Amen. It can be really difficult. I, I remember um, when, when I went to college, um, you know, there's always that period of time where you go away to college and, and you're like, woo, I'm away from home and I'm figuring out my life and I'm going to be crazy and wild and, and figure out things. And, and I went to a really tiny Bible college in Iowa. So the crazy factor is probably not as crazy at a small Bible college in Iowa as it is in other schools. Um, I mean, we would do things like kidnap cats and um, prank our, our friends. Yeah, that's a long story. Um, anyway, uh, and we would do other things like stay up all night long and play Mario Party. Woo! Crazy! Um, yeah, it was super lame. But there was one night where, where me and all my friends, we were, we were in uh, his room and we were all getting crazy playing Mario Party and getting all worked up on the N64. Um, yeah, woo. And uh, my, my friend peeked his head in and I really don't remember exactly what he said, but I remember he said something to the extent of, hey guys, when is the last time you just spent time with the Lord? Are you, are you serious right now? I mean, that, can you imagine the reaction? Because that's what it was. This group full of guys and, and this guy coming in, bringing this correction, saying, hey, when, ha, have you spent as much time with the Lord as you have with this uh, Nintendo system? I, I remember feeling so indignant. Just, how dare you, sir? Right? How dare you question my spiritual disciplines? How dare you question that? I, I, I remember somebody even threw out, you know, you, you throw out that uh, spiritualized trump card where it's like, how about you not judge lest thee be judged likewise? Right? <laughs> take out that plank in your own eye before you try and take the speck out of mine. But that's oftentimes that's how we can receive correction. Right? And sometimes giving correction can be even harder. But as, as I look at the prophets, as I, as I look at, at, at what, how this fits into the greater biblical narrative, you see the prophets come and they, they really care about our mutual partnership that, that we have been given with God because we serve a God who is on mission. Amen? We serve a God who is on mission and what the prophets care about, what we see over and over again is this partnership that we have been given to be with a God who's on mission because that's what we see in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, we see God with all his power, with all his authority, he's creating everything. And then what does he do with that power? What does he do with that authority? Huh? He gives it to us. That's right. With all this power and authority, he gives it to humanity and says, now rule, subdue the earth, make it beautiful, come alongside me. Will, will you be about this incredible story that I'm about? And we know in Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve, uh, the, the first man and woman said, yeah, I don't think so. 
I'm going to determine what's right in my own eyes. I'm going to determine what's good and what's bad. And that threw us in this tailspin where in Genesis 11, we see the antithesis of, of human depravity at Babel. And they come together. And we will be like God. We will make a name for ourselves. And then God threw them into confusion. God confused their language and that was an incredible act of love because he did not come down and destroy them. He confused their language and he spread them out. And since then, we have been people in confusion and exile. And yet God is about the business of undoing that confusion, of undoing that exile. And that's what we talk about when we're talking about undoing Babel. Because in Genesis 12, we know as Abraham comes on the scene and God chooses Abraham, he tells Abraham at the time, Abram, he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a a nation, a nation of kings so that you will what? Be a blessing. That's right. Remember this one. Yes, so that you will be a blessing. And then this one, Exodus, we see that the people go into slavery and yet God delivers them so that they will be a people who are not only delivered out of slavery, but they will be a people, a nation of justice and mercy. And even as we follow along in this biblical narrative, we see God continuing to bring the people back and saying, hey, will you reflect my nature? Will you reflect my character? Even last week, I loved, uh, if you weren't here, go online, listen to the message as, as Craig talked about David and the kings. When, when God's people came to the place where they're like, we want a king. What do they do? They, they have these open auditions kind of thing and, and they look around they're like, okay, who's tall? Who's, who's tall? That's, that's our requirement. And they, they pick the guy that's head and shoulders above everybody else because in that day and age, might made right. And tall was like, oh, you got a tall guy. Wow, You're, things are going really well for you. And yet God says, no, that's not how we're going to do it. It's, it's not going to be might makes right. It's going to be me working through you to bless the nations. And what we see when we come to the prophets is the prophets, the prophets are bringing correction to God's people. And they're saying, look, we're, we're bringing you back to, to be on mission. And they do this in three different ways. They highlight this, this correction in three different ways. The, the first way is they bring accusation to God's people. And we're going to be jumping around in Isaiah and Hosea and, and different places. So it's not on the screen. You just have to write quick. Um, but they, they bring accusation against God's people. They bring them back to repentance. And then they... They bring them to a place of final judgment, but in that judgment, there's hope. And we're going to be highlighting, we're going to be looking at these three different ways that the, that the prophets uh, really bring the people back to correction. But before we do that, I just want to pray over us that God will, God will, will work and move. God, we, we praise you for, for this gift that you've given us of, of correction. We praise you, God, that, that you are still a God on mission. And God, I praise you that you are still a God who calls us to join you on that mission. And so God, even here this morning, we know that you're present. We know that your word does not come back void. We know that you inhabit the praises of your people. We know, God, that you are with us. And so God, give us ears to hear. Give me uh, wisdom. Give me the, the words that you would have me speak. And God, help us to be people who, who are in line with your heart. It's in your name. Amen. The first thing that we see as we, as we think about the prophets and, and the role that they play in this biblical narrative is they bring accusation against God's people. And it's, it's 
it's incredible as I was reading through this because really what's happening is they are bringing physical understanding to spiritual reality. They're bringing physical understanding to a spiritual reality. Like in, in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, we see the calling of Isaiah. And I love the calling of Isaiah. It's such a beautiful, powerful, incredible story. Because Isaiah comes to church and God shows up. Wow, who would have thought, right? He comes to church and he's doing these different things in the temple. And, and he's, he's doing what he, you know, doing the incense and putting out the bread and all these different things. And God shows up and the, the, the train of God's robe fills the temple. He hears these, the seraphim which, with all these wings crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And what does Isaiah say? Woe is me. Ah, I'm sinful. I have unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And yet God in the midst where, 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 Isaiah, where Isaiah says, this is where I'm sinful, God says, this is where I heal you. And he brings the coal from the altar and, and the seraphim touches his lips, the very place where he, he confesses his sin. And he says, see, you are, your sin is atoned for. And at that moment, as Isaiah's sin is atoned for, what happens? I'll tap this side. What happens? He hears the voice of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? He hears the voice of the Lord. And what, does the, what is the voice of the Lord saying? What is God saying in that moment? Who will I send? Who will go for us? I'm, I'm going to make you interact with me, okay? So it's, it's going to happen. Who, who will I send? Who will go for us? And what does Isaiah do in that moment as he's having this incredible revelation, as he's having this incredible experience with God? What does he do? Right? Yeah. Woo, woo, woo. Here am I. Send me. Here, I don't, God doesn't even tell him what he wants him to do yet. And yet he's like, I don't care. I had this experience with you and whatever it is you want me to do, that's what I want to do. That's what I want my life to be about. And then God begins to fill in the blanks of what it means to, to go for him. And, and in this explanation, we read this in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. This is, this is what God is, is telling Isaiah. He's going to uh, preach to the people and this is what's going to happen. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. That feels super confusing to me. It feels like what God is doing is saying, okay, Isaiah, go and preach. And guess what's going to happen? They're not going to listen to you. And the more you preach, the harder their hearts are going to be. And the more they're, they're not going to want to listen. And so just keep preaching. And I'm going to keep hardening their hearts. And I'm going to keep. It feels like God is being very mean. Right? Do, do you get that? That feels that way to me. It feels off. And yet as we continue to read in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 30. This is what God is saying about the people. Isaiah 30 verses 9 through 11. For they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. Can I read that again? Children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. Who say to the seers, do not see. And to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Who is hardening whose hearts? 
See, the people in that, Isaiah, God is saying, hey, you're going to keep preaching. They're not going to keep, they're not going to listen. And as we read in this, they're saying, don't talk to us about God. Don't tell us about the things of God. Don't, don't keep bringing these accusations against us. And as we read further on, Isaiah, he begins to, to compare them to the idols that they're worshiping. These idols that don't hear. These idols that don't see. And he's saying, in effect, you become the thing you worship. You become like the thing you worship. He's bringing into the, the physical this understanding of a spiritual reality. The thing that we put our focus on, it, that's how we will be. That's what we become like. In, in another way, in Hosea, I love the book of Hosea. Hosea is such a beautiful picture of, of, of this, this physical uh, understanding of what's happening in the spiritual realm. And, and it's, it's so interesting because I'm going to warn you up front, the book of Hosea can be kind of PG-13. And, and sometimes like NC-17, Right? It's one of those books that when you find your kids reading them, it's like, ooh, how am I going to have this conversation? <laughs> right? If you read Hosea chapter 1, there, and I'm going to warn you up front, I feel like sometimes I need to apologize for the language of the Bible. Um, but Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom. Now this is the ESV, English Standard Version. You might have a different version. Take for yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. <laughs> Do you feel that? I, there, there's a couple, I mean, you, you hear, the, do, I, we don't need to highlight the word that's continually repeated in that, in that first part, do we? I mean, you, you go back and read that, and what God is doing is he's saying, Isaiah, go, or Hosea, go for yourself and take a wife for yourself who is a prostitute. That's what he's saying. And, and really what's happening there is he's saying, take for yourself a wife, be committed to her, even though she will not be committed to you. Choose for yourself a wife who, instead of your love and devotion, actually deserves death because of her uh, choices, because of her, uh, because of her prostitution, because of her uh, uh, adultery. Do you see the picture there that God is creating, that God is writing through, through Hosea? The, the fact that what he's doing is he's bringing into a physical uh, understanding, this spiritual reality, that breaking covenant with God is not just breaking rules. It's breaking relationship. In the same way that, that a, a, a wife cheating on her husband is breaking this sacred covenant that they have together, this, this sacred covenant of marriage, in the same way when we break our covenant with God, it is breaking relationship. He, what we see throughout the prophets is God is bringing into a physical understanding this spiritual reality. It, it reminds me of when... Um, you know, the, the older I get, the, the more I feel like I'm having these conversations about, like, like generational conversations. Um, like, you know, conversations like, man, this generation, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I, I don't know if, you know, like, oh, this generation, they don't know what we went through or this. And I'm like, how old am I? Like, this is crazy. Like, I hear myself talking. It's like, I am an old man. Um, but but there, there are times where I'm like, man, this generation, they don't know how to work. 
You know, they don't know what it was like to be dropped off and in a field by your dad in the morning and say, all right, pick up these rocks. I'll be back to check on you at lunchtime at seven years old. That's an over-exaggeration. It wasn't seven. But it was young. But as I was, I think I was talking to my wife about it uh, recently, and it was, it was interesting because I was actually trying to think, like, I wonder when my, like, work ethic clicked in. Because it wasn't, it wasn't when dad dropped me off in a field and we had to pick up rocks. It wasn't when I drove a tractor when I was like 12, way too young to drive a huge piece of equipment like that, putting up hay. Like, that was stupid. I definitely, my work ethic definitely didn't click in then. It wasn't when I turned 16 and got my license. Definitely not. Definitely not then. It wasn't when I went away to college. It wasn't when I got married. You know when it was? It was when I, I was working. I, I had graduated. We were married. We were living in Kirksville. And I was working for my uncle, actually building my sister's house. And one morning I showed up. I was a little bit late. And, I mean, that was a pretty common occurrence at that place in my life. And I remember my uncle taking me aside and saying, Luke, come here. Hey, I'm going to be pretty embarrassed when I have to explain to your sister why I fired her brother. <laughs> and in that moment, it was crazy because like everything just kind of clicked. Like, like the reality of what I was actually doing. The fact that I now had a, a, had a bride that, that I had to care for. The fact that I needed to, that, that my work meant something. It was like this, this kind of ethereal thing now took on new meaning in the physical realm. See, and this is what we see throughout the prophets. That the, the prophets are bringing these accusations against God's people that take it from this, you know, like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just struggling or these different things. It's like, no, let's call sin what it is. Let's, let's call this what it is. Let's say that, that we are adulterous people. In light of God's holiness that he is choosing us and we so often are choosing other things. And that's what we see throughout the prophets. And yet praise God that it doesn't stop there. Amen? Because that would be pretty bleak if we say, okay, you know, enjoy your meal. Let's, we'll see you next week. Because he goes from, from as, as, as the prophets are bringing uh, this correction to us, they, they're bringing accusations, but they're also calling us back to a place of repentance. I mean, in Hosea, if you look at Hosea chapter 3, Hosea chapter 3 says this, And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loved the children of Israel, though they turned to other gods and loved cakes of raisins. That, that just, to me, that cakes of raisins part, it's like, what? They love other gods and they love cakes of raisins. He, he goes on, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a, a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or, or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come to fear uh, 
in fear of the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. What we see is as God is speaking through Hosea, Hosea's wife Gomer goes off, even though he's committed to her, even though he has chosen her, she goes off and chooses the love of another man. And what we see in that moment is in that, that chasing after the love, the acceptance, all these other things, even though she had a husband who was committed to her, she chased after these other things and became enslaved by those other things. Hosea had to buy her back. That means she was in sexual slavery. She was in bondage because of her choices. And even though, even though her choices meant death for her, God says, no, go back and choose her again and love her again. It is a beautiful picture of God bringing us back to himself. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? In, in, Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 1, uh, we, we kind of get the, the same feel in a, in a little bit different way. In chapter 1, verse 18, Isaiah says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. He's saying, come, let us reason together. This doesn't have to be the way it is. You don't have to continue to go after those things. You don't have to continue in your idol worship. You don't have to keep, keep chasing after the wind. You don't have to keep chasing after your job security that will never be secure. You don't have to keep chasing after your health that, that can change with a phone call. You don't have to keep chasing after these things, always wondering if we're going to be secure. In fact, come be with me. You guys, we are people who are so easily swayed, aren't we? Do you feel that? We're uh, like the, the, the old hymn says, my heart prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. That, that's why I, I praise God for, for my wife, who is an incredible woman of God. Last night we sat down and we said, okay, what is our life going to be about? What is the mission of our life? What, what is this new chapter of our life? What, what are we going to do? Because so often if we don't do that, we are people who drift. And yet what God is doing through the voice of the prophets, he's saying, no, come back to me. This is the beautiful voice of God in the Garden of Eden when he comes and he knows what's happened and yet he comes into the garden with a question, doesn't he? He says, where are you? Did God not know where they were? Huh? God knew where they were, right? God knew where they were. There was more about that question than just wondering their geography. He was drawing them out. He was drawing them to himself. It's the same voice of a loving God to Cain, who was about to kill his brother. He's saying, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It's the voice of a father to a prodigal son. It's the voice of a, of a shepherd going, leaving the 99, going after the one. It's the voice of God that comes to us in the midst of our sin and our shame, even though we require death because of our, our sin and our actions, and the voice of God saying, hey, will you come back to me? Will you be on mission with me? Yes, I know, I know all the things that you've done. I know your past. And yet you are not the result of your past. You are the result of me changing you, making you new, giving you a new future and a new purpose. Amen? That's what we see in the voice of the prophets. And yet, yet unfortunately, it doesn't stop there either. 
Because the reality is we, no matter how bad we want to, we cannot be people who are fully, fully committed to God. We can't be people who, who bring our, about our own righteousness. And so what we see, not only do we see the accusations as God is, uh, through the prophets, bringing correction to his people. We see the accusations. We see the, the call back to repentance. But also we see the declaration of final judgment. I mean, through, throughout the books of the prophets, uh, we see this, this idea of there are consequences for our sins. There are consequences for our actions. I, I'm not going to turn there right now, but in, in Isaiah chapter 39, we see uh, King, uh, King Hezekiah. And, and right before this, Hezekiah wins this incredible battle against the Assyrians where the Assyrian army comes and, and they encamp against Israel. And Hezekiah cries out to the Lord and, and, and God wins the victory for them. He fights the battle, wins the victory. And, and I mean, it's an incredible uh, it's, it's incredible. It's an incredible story. And yet then right after that, people from Babylon come in. An envoy from Babylon comes in. Uh, uh, messengers from Babylon, they come in and, and Hezekiah shows them around the city. Shows them the storehouses of gold. Shows them, shows them the wealth of Israel. And what he's actually doing in that moment is Babylon is coming in and Babylon is beginning to take over the ancient world. And Hezekiah is thinking, okay, here's a power bigger than the Assyrians. And so if I can align myself with them, maybe I'll be secure. If I can show them how much I have to offer, maybe we'll be in partnership. And I don't have to trust in God anymore. I can trust in something that's here and tangible. And I can see it and I can call on them. And yet Isaiah comes to Hezekiah in the midst of that. And he says, Hezekiah, who were those people? I can just imagine, you know. My overactive imagination, I can just see this going down. Hezekiah, who were they? Oh, you know, it's great. Isaiah, you'll never believe this. It's an envoy from Babylon. And, and they're, they're, move, they're big movers and shakers now. And, and they're going to help us out. And we're going to be aligned with them. And, and Isaiah is just like, oh, Hezekiah. Hezekiah, you don't know what you've done. And he declares this judgment over Hezekiah and he says, Hezekiah, these people, because of what you've done, because you're trying to align yourself, continue to align yourself with Babylon, we are people who are going to go into exile. And we know in 2 Kings that's exactly what happened. After Hezekiah dies, there, there are a couple other kings down the line and Babylon comes in and wipes them out, takes them into exile. See, there are consequences for our action, and it continues in that. And yet, in the midst of those consequences, we also see that, yes, it's, it's for right now, but it's also this, this cosmic, these cosmic consequences for sin. And what we see throughout the prophets is that God is going to undo Babel, and in the midst of it, he's going to bring a new creation. And in that, we have hope. Because, yeah, amen, because we see that, yes, as he's bringing correction, there are accusations leveled against us that we are guilty of. And God is bringing us back to repentance. And yet in the midst of that repentance, it is we feel the, the wandering of our hearts. And yet in the midst of that, God says, I am doing a new thing. I'm bringing hope. And we see places like Isaiah chapter 9. You guys remember Isaiah 9? I know it's not Christmas time, but we can reference Isaiah chapter 9, right? 
Isaiah chapter 9, what do we, let's, let's read just a little bit in Isaiah chapter 9. Um, Isaiah chapter 9, that's, that's the, the passage where, um, I'm flipping there. Uh, Isaiah 9, uh, the people, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You see, what this... What this meant to these people is yes we are people in oppression and exile that Babylon is reigning that there is there is confusion in our world and yet the reality is for people who are under oppression there will be someone who breaks that oppression there will be coming a person who sets things right who brings light into the darkness and for the Israelites, for them, it's like, oh, that is good news because they were people under oppression because of their, their, because of their actions. And yet what we see as, as we continue in, I mean, there's, a, there's another place in Isaiah 61 where we see this as well. Isaiah 61. Yeah, we're all turning there. Isaiah 61 verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me, maybe this has sounded familiar, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. That's good news for people who are, who are under oppression. That's good news for people who are poor. That's good news for people who are brokenhearted, for people who are captives, for people who are prisoners bound in darkness. That's good news. Amen? Amen. And, and what we see, what we see as Jesus comes on the scene, he actually references this as he goes back to his hometown. You guys probably know this. In, in Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16, and he came to Nazareth. Where he had been brought up and, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written. Now this is what we just read. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. He set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The same passage that we just read that proclaims the fact that there is hope in the midst of our accusations. There, are, there is hope in the midst of our brokenness. There is hope that God is undoing Babel. That what he promised in Genesis 3 will come to pass. That the head of the serpent will be crushed. And as Jesus comes on the scene, he says, it's me. It's me. The spirit of God is upon me to do these things. And it says, all spoke well of him. 
Uh, in verse 22, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Now, there's, there's a little bit of confusion because as we read the different, different gospels, it's, it's hard to understand, like, were they saying, this is Joseph's son? Like, what's going on here? Or in this passage, it seems like they're like, oh, man, this is Joseph's son. Right? This is, this, I, I grew up next to this guy. Can you believe all, you know, it's like, the, it, it feels weird how they're receiving this. And yet there, there's, this, there's this hope that we see here. There's this like tentative like, can we receive this? Can we accept this? And yet Jesus, as he's, as he's saying, I am the hope. that This is being fulfilled. He, we're not going to read it. You can go back and read it. But he begins to, to say, this is what this looks like though right now. Because as you see, he left out a key phrase that would have been really good news for people who are oppressed. He left out, he says the day uh, of the Lord's favor, the year of the Lord's favor. But he leaves out the vengeance of God, the day of vengeance of God. And, and if people who are oppressed, it's like, oh, give me that vengeance, right? I can't, like, this has happened to me and this has happened to me. God, bring vengeance. And yet Jesus, in that moment, he says, this is what this is going to look like. And he begins to talk about the Gentiles. He begins to talk about how people in the past, in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, how, how people like Elijah and Elisha were prophets sent by God and they went to Gentile people. They went to oppressors. They went, they went to people who were outside of, of God's plan as far as they could see. And after all that was said and done, we read that the people rose up and they were so mad that they wanted to kill Jesus and throw him off a mountain. Now, I've, I, I don't know about you, but that's some, that's some mood swings right there, right? <laughs> they go from speaking well about him to wanting to throw him off a mountain. I've never been so angry with somebody that I want to throw him off a mountain. Like, I don't know how, I don't know what I would have to do to get me to that place. But they were there. And I think the reason is, is because they, they felt the correction of the Lord. They felt Jesus saying, look, I'm here. This thing that you were desiring, this hope that you're desiring, I'm here and that's happening. But he's saying, but it's bigger than just you. You're blessed so that you can be a blessing. You're a nation of people who are being set free so that you can set others free. And he's bringing them back into this. He's saying, will you come into this mission with me? Because I am a God on mission and I am setting the captives free. And that is good news for us today, people who so, so frequently drift. Amen. That's good news for us. And yet it's not just good news for us here, Compass Church. That is good news for your neighbor who, who is, a, is a pain in your rear. That, that is good news for, for the, the people down the street who don't know God. That is good news for, for you know, I, I want to keep throwing out examples, but you know what I'm talking about. That is good news for the people downtown who, who would say, well, I'd come to your church, but it would probably burn down if I walked in there. Right? And what we see as we look at the prophets is God is bringing correction to us, his people, and saying, hey, yes, there are accusations. Let's call sin what it is. And yet, but will you come back in because you have a Savior who has set you free and has not only set you free, but has put you on mission to be people who, who are about setting others free as well. 
So my question this morning, as I look at this, as we think about what, how do the prophets, how do we read this in, in this biblical narrative? My question for us this morning is how, how do we receive that correction? Are we, are, are we going to be people who say, oh, I don't like that. I, I want to I throw Jesus off a cliff. I want to get him out of my life. I, you know, Jesus is fine to save me from my sins, but he shouldn't have anything to do with my Monday morning. Are we going to be those people? Or are we going to be people who say, God, yes, forgive me for my sins. God, God, bring me back and God, let me be on mission. Let me be on mission for you because that is the Jesus we serve is a God who is on mission and who has come for those who are outside of the fold, who have come for the sick. How are we receiving this this morning? Let's, let's pray. God, God, I, I, I praise you for your goodness. I praise you even as I, as I read these passages, as I read Hosea. God, I'm reminded that, that I am all too often the unfaithful bride. God, all too often I am, I am that, that person who, who puts their hope in lesser things, in cakes of raisins, God. That I am the person who, who at times does not want to hear about you. I am the person who, who closes my eyes and who stops up my ears and who keeps my heart from understanding. And yet you are the God who is the good shepherd who comes to me in the midst of my sin and my failure and my brokenness. And you are the God who offers forgiveness. You are the God who has taken my place on the cross. You have taken my sin upon yourself and you have offered me your righteousness. God, help us to be a church of people who, who hear this, who receive correction, not, not with anger, but God, who receive correction with humility and brokenness. God, who, 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 would, you, would you help us to be people who receive correction and, and, and say, God, I have drifted. Let me be back on mission with you. God, I praise you that in the midst of that, that's what you do. You bring us back to yourself. I thank you, God. I praise you. And I pray that you would continue even in this place. God, if there are people who, who need to repent, God, bring repentance. If there are people who need to turn, God, let them turn. Let them find you. We praise you, God. We thank you. It's in your name. Amen. This sermon is part of the ministry of Compass Evangelical Free Church in Columbia, Missouri. We seek to be a church where Christ's love is at work transforming lives through the power of the Spirit to the glory of God. For more information, check out compassefc.com.